This will enable you to take part to vote yes or no to an upcoming referendum which relates to the democratic structure of the Pacifica Foundation. 516-620-3602 is the number to call to say, yes, you want to become a member of WBAI. Or please go online, go to WBAI.org and look at the center of the website and click on donation. Please do it and help make this emergency membership drive a success. We thank you so much. The time now is 5 p.m. Stay tuned for Driving Forces. That's coming up right now. Stay tuned. This is WBAI New York, 99.5 FM and WBAI.org online. York 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces, a weekly show that dives into the big issues impacting our city, our state, and our country. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here, as always, with Jeff Simmons. How are you doing today, Jeff? I'm doing fine. Great to be back with Celeste. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly, as always, we have a lot to talk about today. Lots going on in New York, including some breaking news about the legalization of recreational marijuana. And I think that's something that we're probably going to get some calls about today, or at least I hope so. We will be taking your calls a little later in the program. But once again, just story after story about our situation in New York with Governor Andrew Cuomo still grabbing a lot of headlines. Uh, Obviously, a few big stories coming out as he continues to deal with sort of these twin scandals of allegations of sexual harassment and misconduct and serious questions about his actions related to managing the coronavirus pandemic. We've heard about a number of uh, uh, accusations lodged against him by women who have uh, worked with him or for him. Uh, now we are hearing a new story breaking, and we'll have more on this in a minute, about whether his family got VIP access to testing for coronavirus early in the pandemic and uh, how that came up how that came to pass so what do you think Jeff well that chapter was not in his book <laughs> <laughs> that was not detailed there you know it's, it's interesting because I've, I saw some of the reporting today where they're uh, showing excerpts from his book you know saying it was frightening when he, he found out that his uh, brother uh, tested positive for COVID the other thing you touched on this and I know a lot of today is going to talk about uh, mm-hmm. Cuomo, but you did touch on this. Uh, I'm fascinated by the progression of a lot of this legislation recently amid the scandals, but it all started, this momentum started pre-scandal based on the composition of the state legislature as progressives have made much more uh, uh, serious and substantial inroads. Yeah, that's that's definitely something we've taken up, I think, on the past couple of shows. Very interesting to see how the uh, the sort of political chess pieces are moving here in terms of whether Governor Cuomo can still rely on the support of people that he has uh, uh, always relied on in the past or whether he is going to see some of that support evaporate. And uh, I think we had some polling numbers that we were looking at just a touch of last uh, last week. But I don't know. There was uh, there was a few things that really jumped out. I don't know. What do you think? 
Yeah, that was the the Quinnipiac poll, folks, mm-hmm. that came out right before Celeste and I had started to talk with you, and we couldn't get to a lot of those uh, statistics. That that poll out last Thursday uh, showed that just under half, or forty nine percent, of the voters said Cuomo should not resign at that time versus 43% who said he should. And what's so interesting is if any other polls come out now, just to see if these, what, I think it's four scandals right now. He's embroiled in four major scandals in the, only in in the first uh, few months of 2021, if that's going to impact uh, his, uh, uh, you know, his polling. Yeah. And, and certainly even President Biden has weighed in on this. Certainly uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of people who are not huge fans of, of Governor Andrew Cuomo in the Republican Party, notably, but, you know, also elsewhere, uh, have not been shy about talking about this. And so there are a lot of big questions about how is this going to impact his uh, political career and his aspirations, if he has any going forward. And just in this next week, and I know that you'll want to talk with our first guest about this, how this is going to impact budget negotiations. Right. That is going to be a very pivotal question. And so, you know, there's there's a lot to be considered about these scandals specifically. But one thing we are going to take up with our next guest is, you know, how is this affecting the way New York is functioning during a major economic crisis, a health crisis? Uh, you know, there is still business to be done for the people, and uh, we, we hope it will get done. But uh, joining us now to talk more about that, what's going on with Governor Cuomo and in New York politics is Casey Seiler. He's the editor of the Albany Times Union, somebody whose work I've admired for a long time. He's also been the managing editor and the Capitol Bureau chief of the paper. You may also be familiar with him from New York Now on WMHT. So Casey Seiler, welcome to WBAI. Celeste, thanks a lot. It's good to talk to you. Absolutely. So uh, we were just mentioning that the Times Union has broken a number of stories on this uh, very recently, even uh, today, yesterday. You know, maybe take us through some of this stuff about that special treatment that the governor's family enjoyed and also about uh, some news about the ethics proceedings uh, possibly against him. Right. Well, this was reported last night by Brendan Lyons, who's our Capitol Bureau chief and our managing editor for investigations as well. And Brendan has just been killing it in recent weeks. He uh, broke the uh, the news of the allegations brought by the, the sixth woman who was alleged um, that she was groped at the executive mansion. But last night's story, which was quickly followed by uh, reports from The Washington Post and The New York Times, found that there was a program uh, within DOH that was run um, by the governor uh, through Howard Zucker, the health commissioner, that resulted in um, uh, family members of the governor and associates um, getting what we might call priority testing. In other words, there were high-level officials at DOH that were dispatched, and we're talking now about the early weeks of the pandemic back in back in March, last March, that is, um, to the homes of, for example, the governor's mother, one of his sisters, and Chris Cuomo to conduct tests that were then brought back to Wadsworth Labs. That's the research facility, you know, here at, at the government center um, down at the Empire State Plaza, and where they were uh, essentially flagged as, um, you know, priority work that should be fast-tracked. And that has raised all kinds of questions. As noted, it is now the fourth 
very large agenda item um, to be taken up by the Assembly Judiciary Committee's impeachment inquiry, which is really just getting off the floor. From a, and this is Jeff, nice to uh, meet you, Casey. From a, a concrete standpoint, how much do you think these scandals are going to affect uh, regular New Yorkers and Governor Cuomo's ability to serve the public, including overseeing the pandemic response? Well, I, I mean, that's a, that's a good question. The pandemic response at this point is fairly out of the governor's hands, right? Uh, the, the vaccine program is, um, is up and running. There are adjustments to be made to it, but those are kind of all being done at the bureaucratic level at this point. Um, ideally, uh, we will no longer have to deal with the, the hotspot designation that, um, that sort of reared up in, in December and January and into February. Um, but I mean, I, I got my vaccination today. That program is, is galloping now. It's just a matter of, of kind of adjusting when you're going to, you know, uh, as it were, turn on the the uh, the eligibility level level for you know a new age group, for example. Um, I think there's there is a, a very definite question as to whether or not the governor is less of a significant figure now, because of course his coronavirus briefings are you know which made him a national figure um, have now. Uh, are now being run by the people who watch them through the lens of the, the, the scandals that are enveloping his administration. And what's been interesting, Casey, is over the last few days, as I've talked to a number of, of I'll say, electeds and their representatives and, and, and my daily job, uh, everyone seems to be questioning if the governor would resign, when this would happen. Quite a few people have said to me they feel that Despite his ego, if this continues, he's just waiting for the budget to be resolved, that the budget will be settled, and then he'll make that decision. Is that something you're hearing? No, <laughs> I haven't. I, I can't imagine why the budget would be the, you know, sort of the hurdle that the governor is, is trying to cross. Um, I think the governor is going to hang in there until he is so badly battered that he just sees no way out. He has essentially settled on a message, and you really saw it crystallize yesterday in this kind of hour-long monologue that he gave about, you know, building back from disaster and how um, we learn from being battered and, you know, resiliency makes us strong. It was, you did not have to be a Freudian political analyst to, to see that the governor might not have been talking you know, just about Superstorm Standy or just about the <laughs> pandemic that he was talking about his own his own fortunes as well. But he is going to continue to identify himself as the only person who can get New York back to where it needs to be, that he's the person who can who can sort of run the recovery better than any other political figure, that, that he's your guy. And on top of which, he's already said that he's not going to answer questions about topics that are the subject of the Assembly's impeachment inquiry or the AG's investigation. Now, it's going to take significant, uh, you know, message discipline to to stick to that. 
I'm sure the next time he has a Q&A, he's going to be peppered with questions, or I shouldn't say peppered with questions, since these are all tightly controlled conference calls. Um, but he's going to have to take at least a couple of questions about this DOH program and whether or not he, you know, fast-tracked coronavirus tests for his family members. And, of course, if he sticks to, you know, what he said so far, he can say, oh, Charles Levine, the chair of the Judiciary Committee, said that that is going to be a subject of the impeachment inquiry. And I've already told you I'm not going to discuss any matters that are under the purview of the uh, of the impeachment inquiry. So next question, please, operator. <laughs> We're talking to Casey Seiler. He is the editor of the Albany Times Union. This is Driving Forces here on WBAI. And Casey, I mean, I have not uh, spent as much time in, in Albany as you have, not the expert you are, but have spent some some time there uh, reporting from the Capitol. And I just really have to ask, you know, do you think that this moment with Governor Cuomo could in any way be sort of a, a pivot point? Uh, or an inflection point? Do you think that anything is going to change? Because you have covered, Jeff has covered, I have covered any number of political scandals. Uh, this is a big one, and it is sort of a perfect storm, uh, to use the uh, the old phrase. But do you think anything is going to change no matter what happens to Governor Cuomo? Well, I, I on the ethical front, I'm, I'm not so sure. We have, of course, less seen... Uh, of perfect storms before, if the back-to-back arrests of Sheldon Silver and Dean Skellis back in 2015 wasn't a perfect storm, I don't know what one is. And it that really didn't result in much in the way of reform of the way the state polices public officials. JCOPE, which at that time was recognized as being a very, you know, the Joint Commission on Public Ethics, for people who do not know these acronyms, was the subject of much criticism back then. That criticism has only grown louder in the years since then. Um, it is it is possible that this mess could lead to uh, a change in structure for Jacob, which is seen as, as having far too much fealty to the governor, to the executive chamber. I, I don't know about that. It's a possibility. I think that it's, uh, it is far more assured that there will be changes to the way that Albany um, addresses the culture of sexual harassment. Um, I, I think that while there have certainly been um, scandals going back, you know, sexual harassment scandals going back to, I mean, going back 20 years, as, you know, since I moved, I moved to Albany in 2000, and of course the Michael Boxley affair was. You know, yeah, and I, that and was the ago. first, literally, literally, my first day on the job in Albany. That night uh, was my my first day of my assignment in in Albany. But thinking about that, thinking about uh, Vito Lopez, thinking about uh, I don't know a guy named Elliot Spitzer. I think it was. You know, there's there's Dennis, any number Dennis of sort of, you know, Michael <laughs> exactly. Kellner on and on and on and on and on, but. Um, uh, at the same time, it, it never reached up this high. But I think the combination of young, um, progressive lawmakers, many of them women, who sort of roared in, in in 2018 in response to you know the rise of Donald Trump, I think many of them are coming in and 
you know, clearly saying this is not acceptable anymore and we're going to come down much harder on it. You've already seen it, you know, prompting legislative changes. And Casey, it's interesting that you just mentioned that I live in Jackson Heights, so I know that well, the progressive movement. And I think of the pieces of legislation that my local legislators have been advocating for, such as abolishing solitary confinement and decriminalizing sex work. And what uh, Celeste talked about at the beginning of the show was another one about uh, uh, recreational marijuana legislation, pushing that through. Uh, what's the status of that, and where do you see that going? I, I, you know, the one thing I did not pick up today, and I it, it could have been resolved, was the whole debate earlier had also been over where the uh, revenue would go, and I'm curious if that has been something that's still uh, being bandied about. Um, well, uh, what we what we have reported is that there is a deal in the works um, to to move forward with adult. Uh, recreational use marijuana. The the question, and it, it appears that there is a workable framework for where the revenue is going to go. That it's going to be, if if I am remembering, I just edited the story. If I'm thinking, if I'm remembering them correctly, it's a 13% tax split, um, 9% uh, for the state and 4% for the localities, I believe. And the um, the debate now is over how much of that revenue will go to communities that have been disproportionately affected by the decades-long war on drugs. And counties are a little bit upset because the municipalities would get the lion's share of the local sales tax. And the counties say, hey, you know, we're going to be on the hook to, for example, police, um, people who uh, might drive while high, that type of thing. But um, we've been promised, or not promised, but we have told to expect an actual bill language, you know, which is really where the rubber hits the road for, I guess, about 48 hours now, and it is still elusive to us. So, uh, you know, deals aren't over until they're actually stacked up on lawmakers' desks, whether in, in dead tree form or virtually. But, um, but uh, we, we have been told that voting could occur as soon as early next week. And this is being pursued not only as an, an economic issue, but as uh, something of a criminal justice and social justice issue, right? We're talking about low-level uh, offenses, drug offenses, uh, disproportionate effect on uh, black and Latino population. Is, is that something that's uh, going to help get this across the finish line, or is that sort of secondary to the economic factors? No, I, I, I think the reason it's been held up, certainly last year and probably two years ago as well, is because of disputes over just, just those issues, especially the question of whether or not communities of color that, as noted, have been disproportionately impacted by, you know, by the, the criminalization of, of marijuana would uh, uh, essentially get a, a little bit of an economic give back on that. Of course, the, the economic and criminal justice toll on these communities is, is, uh, is, is pretty boundless. Um, but, uh, but yeah, some of that, re- some of that revenue is apparently going to be set aside as, as something of a make good. Uh, so, Casey, Celeste loves to talk about her glory days as a daily news reporter. You know, I we're often, on the radio. Right? I, I remember them well. <laughs> I often go back. Celeste and I met for the first time at the Democratic Convention in 2010 (laughs) when Richard Um, Brodsky 
was a, a, an attorney general hopeful, as I recall. Oh, my God. That's right. That's right. God, Richard Brodsky, God rest him. Uh, there was, the that late was great, yeah. That was a shock. That was a shock. But I'm um, sorry. Go ahead, Jeff. I got uh, yeah, the, the reason I that I was bringing there. this up is, I mean, I do reflect on my days as a reporter as well uh, in New York and in northern New Jersey. And I think about what it is like being in a newsroom when major news happens. I was at New York One at the time when 9-11 happened and dispatched downtown. So I'm just we're curious. Uh, Celeste had uh, raised this, and I, I think it's it's really good for our listeners to know what it has been like for you uh, to to be the head of a major newspaper during the pandemic. What has this last year been like for you? So I became the editor of the Times Union at the beginning of February last year, and then I went on a, a long delayed vacation. About I guess it was the second week in March when everything shut down. And I got home and they said, don't come back to the office. <laughs> You've been traveling. So um, go home. And I have been working out of my attic with the exception of a couple of mu- a couple of weeks in the uh, in the late summer and early fall. I've been, you know, running the Times Union's newsroom from my, my attic. My dog is up here. The exercise bike is over here. I've been working from like a, a deal table that I bought when I was a bachelor. I've got my laptop sitting on it. So it is not exactly all the president's men by any, any stretch of the imagination. You know, it's all obviously Zoom calls and Slack and what have you. I, uh, you're right. The excitement and the energy and the sociability, the collegiality of a newsroom, much less the kind of, you know, wonderful, weird, competitive, friendly fishbowl of the state capitol, you know, working with the Legislative Correspondents Association, you really miss it. You absolutely do. But at the same time, the thrill you feel, the thrill I felt last night when Brendan's story about, about you know, this testing program went up, it's, it's, a, it's a great feeling. You feel like you are, you are of service. You're keeping the public informed. You're holding the powerful to account. Um, I miss all my friends. I miss all my colleagues. But, you know, the work goes on. And speaking of that, I wish we had more time, Casey. But how can people find out more about you and the work of the Times Union? If they go to timesunion.com or if they do a search for Capital Confidential, which is the home of uh, our outstanding capital coverage, um, they can they can find it there. And I would just emphasize, as I'm sure you would as well, you know, we uh, we derive support from subscriptions. So if you have a local newspaper or a news organization that you get a lot from, make sure you subscribe to it. Absolutely. Support local news. Huge, uh, huge responsibility on uh, the part of us all. So Casey Seiler, editor of the Albany Times Union, thank you so much for joining us today. Real pleasure to uh, to hear your voice. You as well. Great to talk to you guys. Thanks very much. And uh, that was Casey Seiler. Great, great segment there, Jeff. I thought that was great. I know. Whenever Celeste books a guest, I don't have to worry because I always know she's going to bring guests onto the show that are very insightful. So part of that conversation, like every other conversation we seem to have these days, is focused on New York's recovery and how New York continues to deal with COVID-19. So 
Next up here on Driving Forces, we're going to continue our check-ins with the people that Celeste interviewed for her 2020 audio series, New York in Crisis. And today, we're going to be joined by Danielle Oteri, the founder of Arthur Avenue Food Tours in the Bronx. She spoke to Celeste last year about how coronavirus was shaking up the business of food in New York. And our engineer, Reggie, is going to first play that clip, and then we'll come back to you with an update from Danielle. Reggie? Listening to WBAI New York. I'm Celeste Katz Marston. This is New York in Crisis, WBAI's Coronavirus Diary. My name is Daniela Terry. I live in Washington Heights and I am the founder of Arthur Avenue Food Tours. We were one of the first businesses affected. We saw things shutting down very early on. We had cancellations coming in very early on. And when people were still speculating that things were going to close, we knew that they were. Uh, at the same time, we lead food tours. We interact with people. We are part of a community of restaurants and food shops. And, you know, everyone needs to eat. At first, we thought we can just hunker down and wait a few weeks it was kind of a slow time of year anyway, but then it slowly came into focus that we were not going to be able to return to doing what we do, sharing food, walking around, you know, handing out cheese plates, having samples, eating with our hands many of the times, certainly for the not the rest of this year. And when would that ever happen again? It's hard to say. It's been heartbreaking because we see so many people that we know completely losing their ability to make money. We see so many people in the food industry who are so vulnerable. And then we know so many restaurant owners who live close to the edge, but do the work that they do out of passion, completely having everything taken away from them so quickly. I mean, I think we've imagined all sorts of scenarios where a neighborhood like Little Italy in the Bronx, which is filled with all of these mom and pop businesses, which have been around for over a hundred years. And our family business is an extension of a hundred year old butcher shop on Arthur Avenue as well. And we've, you know, always thought about different scenarios where things might go away, whether it's just from lack of clientele or the raising of prices. We never imagined a scenario like this. So the whole thing to watch unfold has been terrifying. We realized that the one thing everybody was doing was cooking, whether they liked it or not. And a lot of people were getting in touch with me to ask for uh, information about who would ship from Arthur Avenue. They still wanted to buy their stuff there. They still wanted to shop locally. They know that the prices are good. So they were happy to spend a little bit of extra money on shipping. And so what we put together was called the Arthur Avenue Cookbook Club. And I think without ever planning it, uh, Arthur Avenue Food Tours will now officially become the Arthur Avenue Cooking School. And what we're doing is sending people recipes five days a week that at the end will be compiled into a cookbook. They're also able to purchase food directly from the Arthur Avenue merchants so we can still maintain our mission to support all of these small family-run businesses. And at the end of the six weeks, they're going to get this book in the mail. It'll, it'll come a few weeks later, but hopefully it's a souvenir, a positive memory from an otherwise difficult time. I think our business is forever changed, and I think the food industry in New York City is forever changed. I'm not exactly sure how it's going to shake out again, but I went to a conference earlier 
uh, actually late last year where there was somebody from a very fancy consulting firm who was saying that cooking was dead and that people just like they used to make their own clothes and now they only do it as a hobby. That's the way cooking would evolve. Well, I think this entire experience has completely turned that prediction uh, on its head. And I think that there will be a cooking renaissance, which will be good in many ways for some food businesses, less so for restaurants. But I think we're all going to have to reevaluate our relationship to food and fall in love with cooking again, which we are happy to help because that's something that we already do and love. Danielle O'Terry is the founder of Arthur Avenue Food Tours. Stay tuned for more installments of New York in Crisis, WBAI's Coronavirus Diary, and for the latest news and updates on COVID-19. And we are now very glad to welcome Danielle, Danielle Oteri of Arthur Avenue Food Tours back to WBAI Live. So, Danielle, thanks for being here with us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's good to hear your voice. So uh, tell us what has been going on since last we spoke. We were in some very dark times uh, at that moment. But uh, what have things been like since then? Oh, you know, I guess it's been sort of a roller coaster. It's been up and down with so many surprises along the way. And as is characteristic of people in the restaurant industry, there's been some real creativity and scrappiness. <laughs> we have uh, we wound up spending a lot of the summer uh, organizing corporate cooking classes where we were sending people boxes of food from Arthur Avenue and doing cooking classes on Zoom. Um, that was sort of really popular for a while and then inexplicably went away. And then at Christmas time, we got we got uh, contacted by several very large companies, like uh, one was a large hedge fund that wanted us to put together gift boxes to send to their employees who were no longer in their New York office, but scattered around the country. And so, you know, a taste of New York City. And so we sort of got together with a few shopkeepers and made that happen. And now we're at another transition point as we're looking toward opening again on May 1st. And, uh, you know, trying to play Nostradamus and figure out how best to do it. Danielle, this is Jeff. I enjoyed listening to the piece once again, especially the phrase when you talked about our relationship with food because of how much we have had to adapt in this last year. I, I opened the fridge today and I still can't believe how much butter I stocked up on in the last year that's still <laughs> in the freezer. Uh, but what trends are you now seeing, you know, as we're coming, you know, we're coming up for air, as more people are getting vaccinated, people are going out once again. What are some of the new things you're seeing right now? Well, we're seeing a lot of gift certificate redemptions for sure. <laughs> so people are, you know, have been sitting on these things for a while. That's, per that's pretty much the first wave. Of course, I think also our first wave of reservations. We do have a few coming in for the spring are people who are 65 and older who are fully vaccinated. We haven't really heard much from younger folks yet. Um, we think that, you know, though people will, will talk all the time and, and legitimately so are sick of cooking because we've had to do it for so long. I think people have learned a lot, whether they've wanted to or not. And so people will continue cooking and actually probably have more cooking chops than they ever would have had before. 
You're listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons, and we're speaking to Danielle Oteri of Arthur Avenue Food Tours. She was one of the people who was kind enough to speak to us for our series in 2020 called New York in Crisis, WBAI's Coronavirus Diary. So we're catching up with Danielle. And Danielle, I want to go back to what you said that was very interesting, that you are Hearing uh, from people who are older, who are fully vaccinated, maybe less so from from younger people or, or people who are, are not as far along in the vaccine cycle. Have people talked to you about being excited to get back into doing this kind of stuff? Or are you talking to people who are saying, I would love to do it, but we've been sort of cloistered so long with the with the pandemic that I'm not ready to go back out? Well, the folks we're hearing from are raring to go they are tired of being cooped up they've got that vaccination card now and they are just ready to be let out and i think it seems you know pretty clear at this point that international tourism at least for the summer is still not going to happen so i am very hopeful about regional tourism that the city will be filled with people from you know new york new jersey connecticut uh, who are going to come re-explore the city and there's definitely a huge pent-up demand. So I think the restaurant industry is well-poised for the summer. You know what I also, uh, I was making an assumption when uh, we introduced you about Arthur Avenue that most people know what Arthur Avenue is. And I I just thought you might want to take a moment to explain uh, just a little about, you know, what why Arthur Avenue is such a destination for people once they hear about it. And also, when you talk about it, how it has changed in the last year, what it looks like now. Well, Arthur Avenue is what I like to aggressively call the real Little Italy of New York. Uh, but Little Italy in the Bronx has over two dozen shops and restaurants which have been in business for between 50 and 100 years. So it is a lot of old school Italian food where there are shops and traditions that go back to another era, but where you have incredible loyalty to the shop and the quality of food is very high. So it's a place that people come for very fresh meat cut by butchers, uh, handmade cheeses, handmade pasta. It's really a wonderland for foodies. And it's very close to the Bronx Zoo and the New York Botanical Garden. So especially for people who are coming in from the suburbs, you can park your car and just really do tons of shopping and, of course, visit the restaurants. And it's something that, you know, is very family-friendly as well, so I I hope that people will do so. Uh, A few restaurants have closed, um, and then some have opened as well. The neighborhood, you know, I think like the rest of the city, there, there are definitely some scars from COVID that I hope will heal over the summer. But one thing I I sort of realized is that my great-grandfather first opened his shop in 1918, which, of course, is the year of the Spanish influenza, right? And as was uh, Madonia Bakery, which is still there, opened that year. Cosenza's Fish Market opened that year. And I'm thinking, how the heck did they do this in 1918? And then as I watched other people that did actually just open businesses in the neighborhood during this crisis, I realized these are people that saw an opportunity Prices were low. They made a bet and they put their whole self into it. And that's why my business exists here a hundred and what are we, three, four years later. 
Yeah, that's that's amazing. And I'm glad to talk about this, too, because I think especially when we talk about tourism and I'm sure that the tourism industry is is taking a, a, an amazing beating. Uh, you know, we, we tend to focus a lot on Manhattan and the impact on Manhattan uh, and not as much about some of these really great uh, places, including the Bronx, where my family happens to to be from. I know the area you're talking about uh, very well by the uh, by the zoo and the botanical gardens. Uh, my uh, grandmother actually had a a hair salon, a beauty parlor, as they used to call it, uh, right in that area back in the day. But, um, you know, it sounds like from what you're saying that people are hanging in there, some closures, but also some openings. You wouldn't say the area is like, you know, not making it through the pandemic. People are, are hanging in. People are hanging in and people really muscled through. Like most of the shops did not close at all. And, you know, during those early days when we were just afraid to touch surfaces and it was terrifying, um, you know, people were still waiting outside in the cold while they only let one or two people in a shop to do their stocking up there. So there was there were a lot of loyal customers. And there's an incredible amount of loyalty, even for people who are not involved with the neighborhood. You know, the, the person, the HR manager who wound up giving this, this wonderful project that we had over the holidays, which helped us quite a bit. She was somebody who grew up on Arthur Avenue, saw our business, and wanted to help us. Um, you know, one of our biggest Instagram fans is Tommy Matola of, like, Sony Records. He grew up in the neighborhood. And just, like, everything we post, he's so, uh, you know, he's always giving us the little 100 sign. <laughs> and, you know, it's interesting how a neighborhood that's built on family relations can thrive online in crisis. It really is all about relationships. And I would uh, like to give you the opportunity to let people know how can they find out more about you and about Arthur Avenue Food Tours and uh, uh, what is uh, what is going on in the Bronx. Well, you can follow us on Instagram at Arthur Ave Food Tours and our website is ArthurAvenueFoodTours.com. And we're relaunching on May 1st uh, with just one tour. We're going to stick with what was always our most popular tour, and it's called the Shopping and Tasting Tour. And what we're going to add to it when we restart with smaller groups to make sure that everybody is safe, even with vaccinations, is to, is to give everybody a package of recipes when they begin the tour along with a shopping list. So it's not just a food tour where you walk around and you taste things, but something that gives you a project to take home with you and hopefully inspiration to continue to come back. Perfect. Daniel, Daniel O'Terry, thank you so much for uh, coming back and joining us again today on WBAI. Thank you. So that was Danielle O'Terry of Arthur Avenue Food Tours. And as we mentioned earlier, uh, she was part of our, our original 2020 series called New York in Crisis, WBAI's Coronavirus Diary. And you can still check that out at WBAI.org. And while you're there... How's that for a segue, Jeff? While, you, <laughs> while you're on the website, please consider we're going to take just one minute here, one minute, to remind you that uh, like everybody else we've been talking to from uh, local newspapers to local businesses, we are your local community radio station. We are independent, non-commercial, free speech programming. So please, if you are within the sound of my voice, consider becoming a member. Please consider uh, giving a contribution of any amount that you can afford forward uh, to WBAI. Just go to WBAI.org, click Ways to Donate, and we have a number of uh, awesome gifts that we will uh, be able to send along to thank you for your support. 
And for a donation of $35, you know I love to bring this up because I made sure that I purchased two. In addition to being a BAI buddy, where I give a monthly contribution to WBAI, which frankly, if you're listening, can be almost any amount. Most people make it $15 a month, but I got two WBAI masks. And I know that we're getting near, hopefully near the end of this pandemic or towards the end of this pandemic, and people might start feeling more relaxed and not wearing masks. But you know what? We still need to wear them right now. And what a better way to show your support and take care of your health and the people and the health of the people around you than by making a contribution of $35 and and getting one of those uh, wonderful washable masks. I, uh, you know, Celeste and I have talked about this. They're in black and they're in white and they're just wonderful. And it's just the way to go. It's, and you get to support this wonderful 62 year old station that is, as she said, independent, the independent voice that every week on this show, especially gives you a chance to weigh in and tell us what you think about the world around you. Absolutely. So we always appreciate your support. Become part of the WBAI family. Go to WBAI.org and click Ways to Donate. We appreciate every bit of help. And we are going to move over shortly now to taking your calls. Always a a fun part of the program. We love hearing directly from you. This really is a a community program, a community affairs, uh, you know, uh, format that we have here. We want to hear from you. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. And we are just going to take a little break here, give you a moment to call that number, 212-209-2877. We will be right back. And it 
And that was Nation of Language with Tournament here on WBAI. This is Driving Forces. Celeste and Jeff here with you until just about 6 o'clock. We're talking about all the stuff that's going on in New York, and there is a lot of it. Andrew Cuomo, the governor, under fire in, I think Jeff said we're up to, what, four separate? Uh, four, 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 yes. Four separate scandals right now. And, of course, there's that little matter of uh, still living through this pandemic. We want to hear from you. What do you think is going to happen to Governor Cuomo? Is he too busy dealing with four separate scandals, at least if nothing else broke while we were here on the radio? Give us a call, 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. Do you want Andrew Cuomo to run for reelection in 2022? Want to keep him around for a while, or have you had enough? Two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven is the number to call. And the other thing we'd like to hear from you about is the other breaking news today that Celeste talked about at the start of the show: the state legislator legislature's movement to legalize recreational marijuana use, which will make you know this show kind of interesting in the future with uh, you know some of the calls that we get. Uh, <laughs> So let's see. (laughs) Wasn't expecting that one, Jeff. Welcome to live radio land, folks. (laughs) 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. Do you support the legalization of marijuana? Is this going to be a good thing for New York? The other thing also, in all seriousness, I don't know if you had a chance, Celeste. We did not talk about this before the show. I don't know if you had a chance to watch uh, President Biden's press conference today and if you had any thoughts on that. Because it was nice to see a press conference with reporters in the room, that it wasn't virtual, where they get to choose, as Casey mentioned, about the virtual events with the, uh, the governor about, you know, the choice of who gets to ask questions. Absolutely. Yeah, I thought, you know, there there were a few interesting points. Uh, I thought he was pretty passionate uh, when he took some questions about voting rights and potential obstacles to voting rights. That's a subject, obviously, that's very close to my heart as a reporter, did a uh, an ebook, co-wrote an ebook about the voting machine industry uh, in 2020 and have uh, covered the New York City Board of Elections, New York State uh, Board of Elections for a long time. And he was very passionate about it. He said it's sick was the word he used, sick and pernicious, what people are trying to do to take away voting rights in certain states. You know, states largely uh, uh, set up how they run their own elections, set their own laws, rules, uh, buy their own equipment, and so on. And I I thought he was pretty passionate about that. Uh, Maybe a little less so about the filibuster, though. Mm, Very good point. I will uh, let our folks know who are listening that if you did not see this, definitely read up on it because he even talked about the pace of vaccination. For those of you who are concerned and want to get vaccinated, he had said that uh, in his first by the time they reach the first 100 days in office, they will have administered 200 million shots, twice the original goal, Uh, you know, which and the quote that stood out for me, you know, help is on the way. Right. So if you had a chance to check out President Biden's uh, first formal, super formal uh, news conference, let us know what you thought. 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. So, Celeste, you brought up something as we're uh, waiting for a caller. You brought mm-hmm. up something that 
I completely forgot about until it came up uh, by you, which was the Michael Boxley scandal that first yeah. uh, day that you uh, were what on the job up in Albany. You right. know, uh, it, it's there. You know, you start to think of re- in recent memory uh, any type of a uh, a sex harassment or a sex scandal with a state legislator, and you just keep going back in time. You're like, no, wait, but there was an earlier one. But there was an earlier one. Yours was Michael Boxley that you covered, but before that, I'm sure there were a number of others. Yeah, and I think that probably a lot of uh, reporters of our generation and and uh, you know around that time, certainly uh, Vito Lopez, there was a, a scandal there. And, but you know, it, and it doesn't always have to necessarily be uh, sort of an overtly uh, sexual come ons that kind of thing. I mean, there's been a lot of issues about sort of the the gender balance of power in Albany and uh, how much is uh, run by women or how seriously women are taken, how women are treated. Uh, so even if it doesn't involve an inappropriate advance, there's certainly been, at least in my experience uh, from from covering New York state politics, a lot of discussion about just the conduct, uh, you know, what goes on here. There was something called the uh, uh, Bear Mountain Bridge Compact, I believe it was called, where it was sort of like uh, anything uh, that happened. Was it the Bear Mountain? It was maybe, maybe it was the there was something, but it was something similar where it was like uh, basically whatever happened north of it was uh was going to be sort of stays in Vegas type of thing and uh you know there was this this attitude about how um how people conducted themselves when they were in the uh the seat of government versus how they conducted themselves at home so uh if you have any thoughts on that again 2122092877 2122092877 you know, it, it has just been interesting watching the developments that have taken place in Albany and the trajectory of this. And, you know, I tend to think of a phrase that you know, was used often during my time in government when we were dealing with, uh, I'll say, some crises, mm. uh, the death by a thousand cuts. Mm. You know, that phrase. And with each new allegation against the governor, you know, going even back before, I, I know Lindsay Boylan's happened months ago, but then she posted the medium piece more recently, uh, which had more details. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. But the nursing home scandal, I mean, even the one that Casey had talked about with us, uh, you know, just in the last 24 hours that the Albany Times Union had broken uh, about the governor's relatives getting uh, preferential treatment to get uh, tested. Uh, You know, it just, you know, I'm sure this is not the end because also things that might have happened in the last year that people did not think to ask about or heard, but didn't really think it could be perceived by the general public as scandalous or of skipping the line or as unethical, now we're going to be looked at through a different lens. Yeah, and I, I think that, and again, if you want to call in about this, 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. But, you know, when you see things like this, I mean, it, it's you know bad enough what people are talking about in terms of the information or misinformation or lack of information about nursing home deaths during this pandemic. But then when you layer in on top of that, this idea of kind of this, uh, you know, elite self type of thing where the governor's own relatives or, uh, you know, people close to him can can jump the line and get tested when people were running around New York City in an absolute panic 
trying to get help. That's that's something I'm sure people will want to talk about. We are going to go to our first caller. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hi. Hi. What's your name and where are you calling from? Down Bronx. So what's on your mind today? Well, for me, uh, any conversation, to be fair, should be balanced. And I feel that he was the, the same part of an insanity when, if you recall, you know, in the beginning of the COVID, with, with this predator-in-chief, you know, the ex-you-know-who, mm-hmm. I, I, I was devastated by his lack of concern, you know, and then Cuomo made me feel better about things because he was showing leadership and things like that. Now, as far as the nursing home, absolutely, but I just feel that he should, you know, everybody's innocent before proven guilty as far as these women, you know, their allegations until... And, and 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 the thing I wanted to think about is that a lot of us culturally, we grow up with, you know, I'm a touchy-feely person. You know, sometimes when a man does it, then society is harsher on a man. Hmm. You know? so, and, that's, an um, in, that's an interesting point. Now, I, I appreciate yeah, you bringing and, it up. Even, even at work, I, I, I say sweetie and love, and I've gotten called into the office, and I felt wow. horrible. I didn't... I didn't mean anything by it. Well, no, I, no, I, 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 I appreciate I'm you. I'm Hispanic. He's Italian. And, and you grow up differently. And I don't know, the way he always, the things that he said gave me peace. Because he was like, this is not about politics. You really saw him every day, you know, saying this, you know, and, and it seemed like he was struggling. And, you know, and at the same time, by the way, women were very flirtatious with him. Well, that's uh, yeah, that's an interesting uh, you know, that's an I'm interesting point that you uh, that you bring up there, and uh, you know, thank you for your call. Thanks for uh, bringing this up. You know, that's uh, that's a kind of a, a good point. You know, is there is there a cultural change here? But also the idea that uh, Governor Cuomo was somebody that people did look to on a national scale to be sort of uh, the voice of reason, especially at the very beginning of the pandemic when we did not know what was going on. Where could you go? What could you touch? What could you eat what could you do and not do uh i think jeff we have uh, another caller on the line uh good afternoon my name is greg calling from a distant land new jersey <laughs> i've heard of it what's on your mind today greg well i was always a bernie guy for many years but president biden is right now outstanding especially with this new infrastructure bill I mean, our country has been falling apart for 40 years so we had an idiot actor as the president who cut off funding for you know federal projects. I mean, the whole I, I did a lot of traveling in the eighties and nineties in my work around the country. The bridges, the schools, the buildings, the, the trains systems, everything's been falling apart. The water systems, the sewer systems. Put a put a trillion and a half dollars into that. Put a couple million people to work with modernizing our systems in our country. Make things safer because we don't fix things now. It'll cost a lot more in the long run. And this is good for everybody. So hooray, President Biden. Could you imagine if Trump was still in and he won by 7 million votes? What would be happening right now with uh, the insurrectionists and the rednecks? 
And you raise a good point, and I want to thank you for calling in. We have only about a minute or so left, so thank you so much for calling in from, I'll say, my hometown, my home state, New Jersey, uh, where I grew up. So thank you so much for tuning in to WBAI. Uh, before uh, Celeste closes the show, I just want to remind our listeners to tune to WBAI this Sunday. Uh, City Watch, 10 a.m. in the morning. I will be hosting. I'll be talking with David Elcott, the author of Faith, Nationalism, and the Future of Liberal Democracy. But also, I'll have on the show Carlos Menchaca. We've had him on here before. He was running for mayor. He's a New York City Council member. Just dropped out. We'll ask him who he's going to support. Good question for Sunday. Celeste? And thanks to our guests, Casey Seiler, the editor of the Albany Times Union, and Danielle Oteri of Arthur Avenue Food Tours. Special thanks, as always, to our engineer, Reggie. If you missed any part of the show, you can check it out at WBAI.org. And check out Driving Forces on SoundCloud, Twitter, and Facebook. Stay tuned to WBAI. See you on the radio. Radio station listener sponsored WBAI in New York is taking a moment to let you know that WBAI is currently in an emergency membership drive, asking you to renew your membership if it has lapsed or join WBAI right now and also encourage your friends and your colleagues to join WBAI. Become a member. You can join WBAI for a contribution of $25 or more. That gives you a full year subscription membership to WBAI. Please call 516-620-3602 and say you want to become a member of WBAI or you want to renew your WBAI membership. We have a short window that's until April 7th to increase memberships for a referendum vote this spring which determines whether the current democratic structure of the Pacifica Foundation will continue. This bylaw referendum is being put forth by many of the same people who took part in shutting down WBAI in October of 2019. Again, WBAI is looking to increase our voting membership from now until April 7th. This will enable you to take part to vote yes or no to an upcoming referendum which relates to the democratic structure of the Pacifica Foundation. 516-620-3602 is the number to call to say, yes, you want to become a member of WBAI. Or please go online, go to WBAI.org and look at the center of the website and click on donation. Please do it and help make this emergency membership drive a success. We thank you so much. Whereas Mumia Abu-Jamal has spent his life in the fight for justice against systematic racism and for human rights, and whereas Mumia Abu-Jamal is one of the leading journalists in the world and is a member of the Communications Workers of America and the National Association of Broadcast Employees and Technicians, whereas Pacifica in its history has fought against racism and the violation of human rights in the United States. Whereas many Pacifica stations and affiliates have programmed Mumia's commentaries, 
on their programs. Whereas Mumia's life is now in danger with COVID-19 and other serious illnesses which threaten his life and we demand his compassionate release. And whereas Mumia is the victim of state conspiracy and is an innocent man. Whereas Pacifica must stand with justice for all and for human rights, which is part of the principles of Pacifica and one of the reasons it was founded. Therefore, be it resolved that Pacifica inform listeners about the case of Mumia Abu-Jamal, the need for his immediate compassionate release, and to provide information to listeners on how to save his life on all Pacifica stations. What follows is a message from Pacifica Radio's National Election Supervisor. You will have the opportunity to vote in a referendum for 30 days starting June 7th to replace the Pacifica Foundation's bylaws with new bylaws proposed by a group of Pacifica members. If adopted, significant modifications will be made to the Foundation's governance structure affecting both the national and local station boards, including how you, as a listener sponsor, are represented and can participate. To assist you in navigating the complex issues, a graphics-based voter guide can be found on elections.pacifica.org org alongside the text of the current and proposed bylaws in order to be eligible to vote check that your membership is up to date by verifying with your station that you have contributed 25 dollars or performed three hours of volunteer work between april 8th 2020 and april 7th 2021 this means that you have until april 7th to renew your wbai membership or enroll as a new one-year voting member of your local community radio station wbai This is to enable you to vote in a referendum.